Hey, I'm M here with my brother G, back for another G&M Daily. And there's not that much to talk about, so G, get us started. Alright, so the Seattle Mariners signed A.J. Pollock to a one-year, $7 million deal, and he's also got $3 million in incentives there. Okay, so Pollock, a bit of an interesting free agent case. He wasn't expected to be a free agent at all. Um, he had a $13 million player option with the White Sox. It wasn't expected that he would get more than that, on the open market. Now he did have a five million buyout. So really what he needed was to get an eight million net decision to break even on this gamble on himself. And so what he did was he secured himself seven million. So he lost out on a on one million dollars of guaranteed money, but he also has those three million of performance-based incentives. So he bet on himself in free agency, now he's betting on himself again, which is not necessarily a bad strategy because last year was a disaster, but before that he was an extremely productive, if extremely injury-prone, outfielder. So he's betting on himself to make an extra $2 million, and if he doesn't unlock those incentives, then he loses a net $1 million. On the whole here, a solid move for the Mariners, I think. They add to their outfield depth to give themselves sort of a safety net in case former top prospects Taylor Trammell and Jared Kalenic don't work out. Yeah, so the Mariners being aggressive again after some big moves this offseason, a relatively minor deal, but one that could really work out to their advantage. Yeah, and this is a move that a contending team makes. They're, he's not necessarily going to be a huge impact player, but he's a depth guy. And what you see about the really top-tier teams that have been really good over the past few years is they stockpile the depth. I mean, you look at the Dodgers as obviously the example that every team in baseball tries to emulate, and it's just they're so good but because they're so deep, and they let so many guys walk this free agency, but they're still arguably the favorite in that loaded West division because of that incredible depth. depth that they have. Okay. And the Mariners are following a bit of the Dodgers' blueprint but and they're taking a piece from the Dodgers playbook. Okay, so our other deal of the day. The Tigers um traded Cody Clemens and closer Gregory Soto to the Phillies for Matt Veerling, an outfielder, a utility player Nick Matone, and catcher Donnie Sands. Alright, so the Phillies add to their bullpen. So, already in the back end of that bullpen, they got Craig Kimbrell, who they recently signed. They've got Sir Anthony Dominguez. They've got Jose Alvarado. And those two were big for them in the playoffs. They have Connor Brogdon and Andrew Bellotti, who had strong seasons for them last year. <laughs> Excuse me. So, they're looking to... Um, they're building themselves a strong back end of the bullpen. That being said, Gregory Soto is not your top echelon arm. Now, he no, throws he, really hard. He... Can be on. Um, had he was definitely the Tigers' closer and an All Star to be sure, but the only All Star from that Tigers team. So it's not saying a lot when that team was pretty bad, yeah. and also he was kind of prone to erraticness and blowing up in big situations. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Gregory Soto. He has an incredibly fast fastball, one of the fastest, if not the fastest, average velocity on his four-seam fastball for a lefty, 98.7. Okay, so he throws really, really hard from that left side, and he gives um, Rob Thompson 
Philly's manager, another really nice left-handed option to throw out there with Jose Alvarado, who is also a really hard thrower, and Alvarado's got a nasty cutter as well. But the thing about Soto, his strikeout potential and his strikeout production has never really been in doubt, but with Soto, it's the walks. He just walks too many people, and he keeps the hits to a minimum, and he doesn't allow too many homers, but the walks are what kill him. And the walks are what have kept him from ascending into that Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks realm of arms. Well, yeah, because he, he's got the stuff, the um, dominant stuff, like you said, but that control is not going to get him anywhere um, unless he can pull a Randy Johnson and become one of the top closers in baseball. Yeah, and... and he, he, he kind of looks like Josh Hader with the stuff he's got, except he walks too many guys. So watch that early in the season. We'll see if the Phillies coaching can maybe tighten up those walks a little bit. But if they can, if they do, if Soto suddenly stops walking so many guys, he could be a very, very top-tier option. It'll be interesting to see how the Phillies pitching coaches work that. Oh, yes. So the... Uh, Phillies, they also get utility player Cody Clemens, whose main claim to fame is that he is the son of Roger the Rocket Clemens um, of PED fame. And who failed to make the Hall of Fame because of those PED suspicions. Otherwise, he's a slam dunk top 10 pitcher all time. But, so Cody Clemens, he's basically a depth piece for the Phillies here. Replacing depth piece Nick Maton. So, yeah, basically you're looking at um, Veerling and Soto as the two headliners of the deal that are going to make a difference depending on how they can work out any kinks that they might have because they're not, they're not top-tier players right now by any means, obviously. So depending on if the Phillies can fix Soto's wildness or um, Matt Veerling can produce for the Tigers, then really this deal's kind of... A small one right now, unless um, Soto or Veerling can, like I said, yeah, break out. And Veerling does add to that outfield mix for the Tigers that includes Riley Green, among others, Austin Meadows, and he'll give them just another option to mix and match and kind of see who breaks out. But like you said, it's a deal that is kind of difficult to judge right now because we don't know how Soto is going to be affected on the Phillies, and we don't know how um, Veerling is really going to fare on the Tigers. So we'll see how this one plays out. I would venture to say that the Phillies probably win this one. Yeah, because Soto, even in his erraticness, you give him a good team, and he might be able to sort of work through that. Yeah, and he, he's not a bad pitcher by no, any stretch no, of the no. ima- imagination. Even with the walks, he's an above-average pitcher, and he was getting a lot of saves for the Tigers. Now, is he a closer unless he tightens up those walks? No, absolutely not. Not in a contending team. But he can pitch you the 7th. He can pitch you the 8th. Even pitch you the ninth. sometimes. He's got great stuff as just the walks. If you give him a lead in that good team that the Phillies have, then, I mean, just being in a different environment from... The Detroit Tigers, which are a really bad team. Yeah. Um, it could be he's could energized be. on a contender. There are so many factors that could play into this that that we don't really know about. Yeah. That this could really go either way for either team really quick. Yeah, but the thing about Soto is a lot of the time he'll give you a good game, 
that you can take, and um, there will be times that he just, he'll blow up because of the walks. And that's something that you kind of have to expect unless you can tighten those up. Yeah. All right. And about Carlos Correa, the never-ending tale that just keeps continuing and adding new plot twists. Um, the other day, on Thursday night, I think it was, I went over the mystery team that was reputed to be in on Correa. Uh, how the Mets were getting a little bit frustrated with how the negotiations were going with Correa. Well, that mystery team is definitively the Twins. And the Twins are apparently very aggressively in on Correa. They're a serious contender for the Mets now. And the Mets are certainly not as optimistic as they were early last week. The Twins are apparently willing to be less picky about the medicals than either the Giants or the Mets. And it's looking like they may give Correa an offer with less years and a stronger average annual value than the 10 years, $285 million that they already offered him. Yeah, so first it looked like a done deal with the Giants, and then with Mets. And so, I think that this far, if the Mets haven't gotten him now, despite how much they've stated that they are confident that this deal will go through for them, or how much they want them, he might go to the Twins after all. Just because I imagine maybe Boris is getting frustrated as well, as he did with the Giants. Yeah. Even though, at first, both sides of the Mets and Boris wanted um, the Mets. But even so, Boris now might be getting a little annoyed. So, I think the Twins getting Correa is a very, very real possibility. Yeah, and the thing about the Mets and Correa is the Mets are looking for a clause, as I detailed on Thursday... Uh, the Mets are looking for a clause in the contract that will um, protect them in the case that Correa has significant damage to his right leg and that will allow them to get out from a lot of money on that contract. Well, then you give them a contract with incentives, I would think. Yeah. Um, if Correa might be really worried about that leg and therefore wants to get that guaranteed money. Yeah, ex except what they're looking for is not some something generic but something very specific, it's that right leg. Will that right leg hold up? And yes, really, yes. that's the thing they're concerned about here. And the thing is that that sort of thing is very difficult to work into a contract. It takes a long time. Happened with Boris and J.D. Martinez back with the Red Sox a few years back, but it's still extremely difficult to work out. And that's why this is taking so long with the Mets and the Twins have suddenly emerged as viable contenders. And if the Twins don't want a clause like that, that could give them the edge of the Mets. Well, yeah, if the Twins are willing to accept that injury and also they're willing to give the same amount of money, um, then I don't see why Correa wouldn't go for that. Yeah, and he he said all the things about loving being a twin um, because he played there last year, and it, it's kind of, I mean, it's the norm. Tradition. Tradition, it's tradition yes. for an athlete to say that, but it could be true. He could, I mean... He, if he loves Minnesota and he's willing to take a small discount, he could very well be sitting in the middle of that Minnesota Twins order come opening day. Yeah, so we'll have to see how that develops. Yep. All right, so that's it for tonight on the GNM Daily, and we'll see you next time. Until then. For the GNM Baseball Podcast.